morning and welcome. My name is uh, Jared and I serve as one of the pastors at Heritage Baptist Church in Mansfield. And uh, it's my privilege to welcome you to the constituting service of what will soon this day be officially called Sovereign Grace Baptist Church here in Bonham. Um, I have been tasked with offering a welcome and an introduction, so I would like to uh, welcome Corey Smith, Pastor at Heritage Baptist Church in Shreveport, who will be leading us in our opening prayer here in just a moment. Uh, we are also joined by the pastors from Emmanuel Reformed Baptist Church in Georgetown, uh, Matthew Vincent and Steve Garrick, and uh, Bob Curley and B.J. LeGraw. We welcome you here today. I uh, would like to welcome uh, Steve Marcadant, pastor at uh, Sovereign Grace Baptist Church in Ontario, California. And I would like to extend a welcome to the, to the other guests who are here uh, to witness the birth and the first steps of a new congregation. And of course, uh, I'm a guest and I've introduced some guests. Those of us who are guests here, uh, we know that we have the privilege of being welcomed here by the saints um, who are about to be the charter members of Sovereign Grace. So we thank you for the invitation. Let me offer to you another word of introduction, and that's not a, an introduction of any more of us, but an introduction to you of what we are about to witness, and I hope that this will establish the context for us today. Uh, because we struggle with sin, and we can be very prone to taking various things for granted, we can do that with life in general. Uh, we can do that in particular as disciples of the Lord. Um, we can begin to fail to contemplate and really appreciate the Lord's mercy and His work. So because that's a reality that we have to struggle against, let me encourage you to remember the words of the Apostle John as he spoke from Patmos under a sentence of exile, speaking to persecuted and suffering believers who 
needed, needed to see, not by sight, of course, but they needed to see again by faith. They needed to see themselves, and they needed to see their churches according to the truth. And I think that if you will remember this truth today, uh, it, it will set uh, an amazing context for today's events. John said, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were, like, were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. The universal church, of course, belongs to the Lord and, of course, any particular congregation belongs to the Lord. The church is His. The church that is about to be founded today it is his church. It is his creation, and it is his bride. So today, let us witness the birth and first steps of a newly planted congregation, remembering first and foremost who the Lord of the church is, and behold what John has said. Our Savior and the establisher and the sustainer of any particular and true church, he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He has the authority to give the word to be believed and obeyed. He is the faithful witness. He is the testifier of truth. It's his voice that we hear when this written word is proclaimed. He is the firstborn from the dead. That is, with his resurrection being the example and the reason for us to have a firm confidence that just as his humiliation was consumed and ended by the glorious resurrection, so to us, his church will see our struggles end. And by his victory, the dominion of sin is already broken for his saints. And by his resurrection victory, we look forward to the banishment of the presence of sin. And who is this witness? Who does this work of saving sinners and assembling them together into particular congregations? He's the Son of Man. 
He is the divine king foretold by the prophet Daniel. He's dressed in the robes of the great high priest and with the wisdom and purity of the ancient of days. And he speaks with a word that is powerful and piercing. And where do we find him ordinarily? Where do we find him? If we were to go looking on some quest to find this prophet and priest and king. Why, here in this text that I've just read to you, we find him speaking, we find him working, we find him displaying the riches of his high priestly work and the glory of his prophetic work and kingly work. We find him among his lampstands. We find him working there. We find him speaking there. We find him extending the rod and staff and ruling and governing and guiding his people. That's where we find him, among his lampstands. What an amazing thing that the Lord would call any particular true congregation a lampstand. For he's the light. He is the light who has come into the world. His churches are to hold up and to hold forth his light, his truth, his grace, his law. So, dear saints, let me encourage you with this context. Let us marvel and be thankful at the birth and the first steps, first steps of a lampstand. This is something that's not come about by natural generation. This is something that comes about by the sovereign and merciful work of this Savior who regenerates unworthy sinners. And he draws them together into particular societies or churches. He calls lampstands. Let us marvel be thankful with our Lord's sovereign power and the mercy that he has extended to us. Corey, would you come pray for us? Let's now go to our Lord, the Lord of sovereign grace and prayer, to ask him to give us blessing and his special blessing and his special presence upon us on this service this morning. Let's pray. Dear Sovereign Lord, who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in your glorious deeds. For no one is, no one compares. For you are our God, the Lord, who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving us, your people, of our sins and iniquity and transgressions. And by no means will you clear the guilty. Lord, we know we come to you in prayer before your throne of grace, not because of what we have done, but only by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. Father, we know it's all of grace. It's all of sovereign grace that we are here gathered together this morning to worship you and and to call you to come and bless us in this Constitution service. It's all of grace. It's, it's not what we have done, our works, our intellect, but it's all because of what Christ has done, his redemptive work on the cross, his life, his, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his, his ascension, and now his session, his session at your right hand, interceding on our behalf. Lord, where else can we go? For you have the words of eternal life. Lord, we are reminded that you 
It's by your word that you have created us, created your people. It's by your word that you have given us new birth, that you have caused us to, to bring forth life. Or that once we were dead in our sins, but you, rich in mercy, caused us to be alive in Christ. Lord, not only are we creatures of the word, creatures brought by your word, but Lord, you sustain us as your people by your word. For man cannot live by bread alone, but lives, but we live from the, the words that proceed from your mouth, from your words alone. Lord, I pray now that you would feed us, feed your people this morning in this service. Be with us, correct us, encourage us, exhort us, comfort us, train us in the way of righteousness. Lord, we pray that you would show us your glory, show us Christ, expose our sins, expose what needs to be exposed, lay our souls bare before your word and show us Christ. Reveal your glory to us through the power of the, your word and through the power of your spirit. Pray in the name that's above every other name. Pray in the Lord Jesus' name. Oh, <laughs> 
You'll notice in your bulletin, come now to the portion of the service, the Church Covenant. Going to make a few remarks about Church Covenant, why we have one. Then we'll, the charter members will stand and we'll read the Church Covenant together. And then I'll have the church member, the charter members come up on the left side in single file and sign the Church Covenant here. So you have a copy of it in your envelope, if you want to take that out and have that ready. And then after the signing of the Church Covenant, we'll be singing another hymn together. <laughs> church Covenants are an agreement an agreement between church members. They serve as a firm and serious commitment, and in this way we pledge ourselves to one another, one to the other, within a local congregation of believers. That local, in time, in space, expression of the body of Christ, the church. Now, church covenants come to us from long practice, and they arise out of uh, a reaction to false doctrine. They also come from a careful consideration of the nature of the church. What is a local church? So they're a product of the Congregationalists and the Baptists many, many, many years ago as they thought about the state church in England. Well, that's wrong. That's unbiblical. But what are we going to do in local congregations? It's a commitment then to one another in defiance of unbiblical authority. That a commitment that no matter what, no matter what persecution may come upon us from the state, from others, no matter what comes, we will obey God. So why then a church covenant? Why, why have one? Well, to answer that, it will be helpful to consider a few questions. What is the basis of our unity as a local church, as a local congregation? What is the basis of that unity? Well, it, it is our faith in Jesus Christ, brought to us individually by the Holy Spirit, who then unites us as individuals to Jesus Christ, and in Him unites us to one another. That's the basis of our unity. Can you see faith? Can I give you a cup of faith? Can you see the Holy Spirit? Can you right now see Jesus Christ? No. Does merely gathering together as a group of people make us a church or make you all a church? No. All you have to do is look around 
your local community. And you can see gatherings together of believers and unbelievers. That doesn't make the local VFW a church any more than it makes the local gun club a church. They can be good, they can be helpful, but they are not the church. What makes a local church is the gathering together of believers into a local church. Notice in your bulletin, we have this paragraph from our confession. Notice how our confession puts it. The members of these churches are saints by calling. That is the effectual call that has come to them as individuals. Visibly manifesting and evidencing in and by their profession and walking and their obedience unto that call of Christ. Now, this is where we come to the part that relates to the church covenant. What is it that is done here in the signing of a church covenant? Willingly consent to walk together according to the appointment of Christ, giving up themselves to the Lord and to one another by the will of God and professed subjection to the ordinances of the gospel. That's what a church covenant is. It makes the church covenant, the agreement one to another, visible and clear to all. And in that way, it functions much as our confession functions. It's a public acknowledgement. This is who we are. This is what we commit to. From all eternity, the Father has loved his people in and through the Son, who came to live and die for sinners. The glorious light of the new covenant has dawned upon us. The risen Lord Christ rules over heaven and earth for the glory of God and the good of his church, the good of his body, the good of his bride. Through his spirit, he gathers together his people in local churches as a display before all the world of his glorious and triumphant kingdom. If you would, please take your copy of the church covenant and stand. And let us together read this covenant commitment that we are making to one another. Having been led, as we believe, by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now in the presence of God, angels, and this assembly most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. We commit ourselves, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to submit joyfully to the authority of the triune God, the Word of God, and the under-shepherds of God in this church avoiding all dissension and disunity, to walk together in Christian love and peace, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its growth and spirituality, to sustain and support its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, to substantially agree with this church's confession of faith, 
the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689, and to avoid public dissension in those places of the confession where we might differ, and through our tithes and offerings, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of its poor, and the spread of the gospel to all nations. We also commit ourselves to maintain family and secret devotions, to educate our children religiously, to seek the salvation of our relatives, friends, and acquaintances, to walk with Christian common sense, caution, and wisdom in the world, to be fair and right in our dealings, faithful in our commitments, as examples of godly people in our behavior, to avoid all tattling, backbiting, and unrighteous anger, and to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. We also further commit ourselves to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy in feeling and courtesy of speech, to be slow to take offense, but to be always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior, to secure it without delay. We moreover commit ourselves that when we remove ourselves from this church, we will never be for unreconciled attitudes, relationships, or sins, nor while under the discipline of the church. And we will as soon as possible unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the truth and principles of the word of God. Amen. If you would please line up on the left side, single file, and come up one at a time and take a pen and sign the church covenant here. Thank you. 
If you would please take your handles and turn with me to hand number 270. Together we will thank the church's one foundation. Hand number 270. Please stand. Oh, <laughs> 
Now that you have made a covenant with God and with each other, you are an independent, constituted church. As members of Sovereign Grace Reformed Baptist Church, you now have an important formal act to take. The first action you must take is to ratify the bylaws of the church. Chapter one of paragraph six of the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689 states, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith and life is either expressly set down or necessarily, necessarily contained in the Holy Scriptures unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of the spirit or traditions of men. Nevertheless, we acknowledge the inward illumination of the spirit of God to be necessary for the, for the saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the word. And that there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and government of the church common to human actions and societies which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence according to the general rules of the word which are always to be observed. Notice that this paragraph states clearly that the government of the church is not specifically described in the Bible and that this government is to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence according to the general rules of the word. So that is the purpose of these bylaws. These bylaws establish the rules and procedures governing Sovereign Grace Baptist Church. They were developed by the sponsoring church based on decades of experience in several different churches. 
They are ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence according to the general rules of the word. I hold a copy of these bylaws. These are the same bylaws of which each of you have received a copy. Pastor Curley, the agent for the sponsoring church, presented these bylaws to you on February 13th. He presented them and he explained them and he answered all your questions. At this time, your first act as chartered members of the Sovereign Grace Baptist Church is the approval of these bylaws. The vote to approve these bylaws will be taken by voice vote. Therefore, all those chartered members who approve these bylaws, please make your vote public by saying, I. Any who disapprove of these bylaws, make your vote public by saying, I. The bylaws of Sovereign Grace Baptist Church of Bonham, Texas are officially approved. As Pastor Down so clearly explained and declared in his introduction, the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord of his church, of every true church. This church is established because the Lord Jesus in his sovereignty brought about every detail that has resulted in the planting of this church. And it has been glorious to see what the Lord has done in gathering his people together and working in the hearts and minds and lives of all of you from different backgrounds, uh, uh, different religious experiences in terms of your church affiliations and bringing you together as one people in Christ, confessing to one statement of faith in establishing his church, the Lord determines who the servants of that church are going to be, who the officers are going to be, who the gifted brothers are going to be, the elders and deacons. So we come to this, this point in our constituting service when the Lord finalizes his identification and setting apart of the servants of this church through a formal vote. As I talk with you about the bylaws and as I nominated Jeffrey Massey and uh, Mark Landers to be the servants of this church, I emphasized what great responsibility you have in examining and prayer, prayerfully considering the men who were nominated to serve this church under the lordship of Jesus Christ himself. It is a great responsibility. If you look carefully at the bylaws, there are only five things that the church votes on. One of those things 
is the ordaining of elders, the, the voting on the servants and leaders in the church. Another is removing them, which we pray will never be necessary, either with these men or, or other men. But it is an important God-given responsibility to you as charter members of the church. You have received these men, the nominations of these men. You've heard their testimonies. You've had opportunity to examine them. You have had opportunity to see them tested in the preaching and teaching of the Word of God and serving this church. So now you have the responsibility of voting to express the will of the Lord Jesus Christ as He has worked by His Spirit in you spiritually and using your minds and experience to set these men apart as elder and gifted brother. So Jeffrey Massey has been nominated as an elder of the church and Mark Landers as the gifted brother. Will you please now take out your ballots? Every charter member should have a ballot. Mark your ballots and vote. Mark your votes. When you finish voting, please hold your ballot up. And there are two men designated to pick those ballots up. After they pick them up, they're going to count the ballots. And they're going to bring me the results. And while they're doing that, Pastor Stephen Markadont, the pastor of the sponsoring church in Ontario, California, a dear friend and a dear brother is going to come and give the charge to Matthew Vincent and Mark Landers as the servants of this church, Sovereign Grace Baptist Church here in Bonham. Steve, will you please come? Well, it is a pleasure to be here. Historic day, absolutely a historic day. And I pray 50 years from now, they'll still have a copy of that charter. They'll be able to look at it. And uh, like me, most of you probably won't be here 50 years from now. Let's hope that we're not here. Many of us hope we're not here 50 years from now. But God in his grace establishes churches. And it's true, churches do come and churches do go. That's in God's hand too. But may a, a firm foundation be established here so that this church remains. Not to say personally, I, I love your building. You know, I love your acoustics here. You know, God's grace is, is good to you. And uh, really the way this, um, the way that we became uh, the sponsoring church is unusual. I want to go over that, I'm sure you know. But um, when our dear brethren at Emmanuel, and uh, like you said, I, the man I respect so greatly, Bob Curley, and another man I respect so greatly, Jeff Massey. I mean, it was very obvious that uh, the Lord had done a work. And so far off in Ontario, California, 
a good thousand miles from here, uh, we were able to really delegate the responsibility to Pastor Curley, and then, of course, have great confidence when, when Pastor Jeff came. <clears throat> By the way, I think you might know, I co-pastored with Pastor Jeff for 14 years in Ontario, so I kind of know him pretty good. So, let's just look quickly to the Word of God, or let's look to prayer, and then we'll look to the Word of God. It's the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for what you have done and are doing here and will do by your grace. We pray for a ministry that is powerful and strong and, and reaches into this growing community and shows forth Jesus Christ. And now, as I give a charge to, to two of those that have great responsibility in this church, I pray that you'd help me to bring forth these things cogently, that you would apply them to every heart, especially the two to which I give a charge. And may Jesus Christ receive the glory. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, Mark, I'd like to direct my, my remarks to you first as the gifted brother of this church. And, um, you know, according to our confession, 2611, it says, although it be incumbent upon bishops or pastors of the churches to be instant in preaching the word by way of office, yet the work of preaching the word is not so peculiarly confined to them, but others also gifted and fitted by the Holy Spirit for it, and approved and called by the church may and ought to perform it. And you know, we had the privilege of having a gifted brother in our church, a young man, we didn't think he was quite ready for the eldership yet when his particular situation, he was young, he was new, he'd been with us three years. I was a mentor for him. He was uh, taking classes uh, online and um, he became a, a great help and a great encouragement. And I watched him grow as he had these responsibilities to preach from, from time to time. And we let him preach quite often and he ended up preaching other places quite often. And now the Lord has moved him on and he's the pastor of Sentinella Baptist Church, uh, which is an established church that's been around in Southern California a long time and doing a great job there. Now, not every gifted brother ends up being called as elder. That's not the purpose. It's not considered a stepping stone to the ministry, but it can be. And of course, you have a charge to do right now, Mark, to, to preach the word here to this particular congregation and be a tremendous help in the ministry. And I know that you have been a blessing to this congregation, and I've got to hear some of your sermons that were online and appreciate what you've had to say. Second Timothy 2.15, I say this to both uh, you, Pastor Jeff, and, and to you, Mark. Second Timothy 2.15, you don't need to turn there. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And you know, it is the chief duty of one that stands behind the sacred desk or, or teaches uh, in the adult Sunday school or whatever it happens to be, Bible studies and such like that. It's the sacred duty and privilege to proclaim the word of God to God's people, you know. And Second um, Timothy 4, 1 through 2 says... I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. And, and Mark, I know that you have done that here. 
and it's appreciated. And, and you have the approbation of so many, and I trust the approbation of the congregation. But we'll wait to hear that, okay? <laughs> wait for the vote. There we go. Well, much of what I say is going to apply to you, Mark, as I, as I preach to and give a charge to Pastor Massey. And uh, so I pray that you'll give firm attention and that you will fulfill your ministry here amongst the brethren in Bonham. I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. I've preached many ordinations and, and charges over the years. I've been a pastor there 40 years in Ontario. I was really young when I started. <laughs> so God in his goodness has allowed us to come together here. And like I say, we had uh, just absolute confidence in Emmanuel and, and Pastor Curley to be able to, to take this more unusual situation and make it work to the glory of God. Here in 1 Peter chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 and then give you three heads that we will uh, be looking at this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being, in ex being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. And then he goes on from there. But time will just cause us to, to look at these four verses primarily. And um, first of all, the context of the exhortations. Second of all, the necessary biblical humility of pastoral service. And then third of all, contrasting the directives to the overseers. So those are the three heads that I would like to present to you, Pastor Jeff. And you've heard a form of this sermon before. So there you go. But the context of the exhortations, and context is important. This is Peter's commissioning from his risen Lord Jesus Christ. And he never forgot the commission that was given to him. And the Lord had told him, Peter, do you love me? And then three commands were given. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and feed my sheep. I said, well, that sounds a lot alike. No, they're not a lot alike. If you really think about it, what's being said here, feed my lambs, okay, the young ones, right? Tend my sheep, the work of an overseer, and feed my sheep. And that becomes an awesome responsibility for any pastor, no matter the size of his congregation, because you'll have young, new Christians, and you need to preach to them. And in the same sermon, you've got to preach to those that have been in Christ for years and years and years and bring something profitable for them. And that's a challenge. But it's a challenge that's easily met if we preach Christ, because Christ meets all of our needs and meets all of our people's needs. 
So the commission was given to Peter, and he fulfilled that, and then he passed it on, as we just read, to the elders that were there. And uh, these, this is a context of pastoral exhortations that come from the book itself. Just flip back to uh, chapter 2, verse 24. Chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And then again, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, Peter writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I'll start at verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? That's a staggering verse, isn't it? And you need to think about that as you assemble together. You need to think about Bonham needing the gospel and what will happen to them if they do not hear and obey the gospel. Let that be a burr in your saddle. I wouldn't say that in California. <laughs> Let that be a burr in your saddle to really understand how important this is and the work of this church, Sovereign Grace, Baptist Church of Bonham. Now, the necessity of biblical humility in pastoral service. A lot of times we don't think of humility as being important, but I've come over the years to believe that humility is one of the most important marks of a man of God. Jesus Christ himself, uh, the Lord of glory, humbled himself and came to this earth as not just our example, he is an example, but as our Savior, you know. So it might be surprising, but it's not uh, really taken out of context here. It's right here in the context. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, Fellow elder, this is the, the great apostle Peter. We're still talking about him today. We don't know any of the other elders, really, that he's addressing, but he's addressing them, and he's addressing them as peers. He's not saying, I am the great apostle Peter, who one day will be called Pope Peter, and I'm going to tell you what you got to do. No. There's humility in the way that he addresses his fellow elders. I exhort the elders among you, a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Go down to, to verse number three, you know, and it says, um, not by constraint, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And that idea of domineering is what I would like to bring forward to you. You know, we as shepherds of churches lead by example. We also lead by the word of God and by the proclamation of the word of God. And may it be such that if any ever disagree or find themselves uh, out of harmony, that it be the word of God that they're actually fighting against. And we see this really as we go on in the passage, I'll read it now. 
uh, verses 5 and 6, it says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he will exalt you. And then what a blessed promise. Casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. And that's a tremendous passage. You looked at it in the Greek, and it really, uh, really just uh, talks to us greatly. We can cast our cares and concerns on him because of his loving care for us. And that applies to all of us. So there you go. You know. Well, a fellow elder, that's a humble way for the apostle Peter to put it. He draws them to himself and then challenges them to godly action. And Peter puts on the elders the same responsibility that Christ placed upon him, shepherd the flock of God. We see that in verse two, shepherd the flock of God and, and feed the lambs and tend the sheep and feed the sheep. And that really sticks in, in Peter's brain, so to speak. And under inspiration, he writes it to us. And we still read it today. And we still need to live with it today. Pastor Jeff, as pastor, your primary responsibility is not to the lost. You certainly have evangelistic um, you know, responsibilities. And you'll preach evangelistic sermons, and you'll call to Christ or call to the lost many times in your sermons. And you'll have community issues that you need to deal with, but primarily your focus will be to Christ's sheep, the ones where He's placed you here. And that's my calling and yours, by definition, in being a pastor. And I'll just say this as a, a personal note, and and I know you feel the same. When people call you pastor, that's not something to puff us up. It's something to remind us of our responsibility and the calling that God has given to us to be a servant to the people. And then we'll leave it to Pastor Garrick to talk about how, servants, how your servant shouldn't be mistreated and treated poorly. Now, contrasting the directives to the overseers. I think you can see it. I'm, I'm using a, a different translation for this part, but, it, you know, I'm using the SV, but my notes, not because you must, but because you're willing, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over, but being examples to the flock. And Calvin said this, in exhorting pastors to their duty, he points out three vices, especially, which are often to be found, namely sloth, desire for gain, and lust for power. And notice, each vice has a contrasting uh, grace. Not by constraint, but willingly. And in the Greek, that word that translated constraint can mean necessity, be it moral or spiritual, or constraint, of course, as, as said here. Compulsion or obligation of duty. Not, not for those reasons, but willingly. It's an adverb. 
explaining how to take the oversight voluntarily, willingly, as a calling of joyful obligation. You've been a pastor before, not a novice. You know what it's about. And he's jumping back in again, <laughs> by God's grace. But I, I love being a pastor. I know Jeff does too. Love being a pastor. I wouldn't be a pastor 40 years if I didn't love it, you know. But you know what the most important thing is? The most important thing, and there's one primary reason to be in the ministry. There's one. The calling of God. And you know how you find out the calling of God? It's the people of God that God will use to call. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. And the word Peter uses here is important. He doesn't say not for money. In fact, Peter would be a hypocrite if he said not for money because he himself was supported. This is not a passage to be used as they say that pastors should not be paid. And I, I listened on, online to a sermon that you preached about that, Steve, to this congregation, you know, about um, supportive pastors. Talking about dishonest gain. How is it dishonest? Well, he's not speaking about cheating people or being financially dishonest, although unfortunately that has happened too many times in ministries. And it makes the newspaper and everybody goes, oh, yeah, yeah that's what we thought, you know. No, it's not talking about that, you know. It could even be translated not just for the money. And don't go into the ministry because it's a, a good-paying profession. Okay, that's the wrong reason, and it usually isn't, you know. And not as lords, but examples, you know. Not as lords, but examples. And, and a Lord says, the people exist for my benefit. Very wrong way to think about it. You know, no, it's Christ's church. And notice what Peter carefully said. I exhort the elders among you. you Got to be among the people. When you're among them, they can know you. When you're among them, they can follow your example. When you're among them, they can know if you practice what you preach. And this will be a little challenging. You're a bit of a distance away. It's not too far. And you have a gifted brother that's here, boots on the ground, and that's a blessing. I'd be glad for that. You have good churchmen. I, I know some of you by name because uh, Pastor Curley has talked about you as we've had phone conversations and such like that. And with modern communication and phone calls and email and text messages, we, we can stay in really good contact with each other, too. Elders gain credibility by being among the people. Think about the scandalous televangelists that you know, that you've heard of. You don't know them. You probably don't know a single one of them, right? That's the point. You don't know them. People feel like they know them. People feel connected to them. But in reality, they are no more connected to many of these televangelists and such like that than the $20 bill they get in the mail from them. 
Now, that's not to say there's not good things on, on the internet. That's not to say there's good things. Um, I profit greatly from things on the internet. Um, I don't listen to a lot of sermons on the internet, to tell you the truth, but they're very profitable. And R.C. Sproul, I think, will be talking about his sermons 100 years from now. That's my opinion. I won't be around to see that, but that's my opinion because they're excellent. Got it 99% right. There you go. (laughs) Well, we're not to be lords ruling for our own pleasure or our own benefit. A tyrant doesn't care about the people that he rules over. A tyrant believes the people exist for his benefit, but a Christian pastor leads by example. And the exhortation is to shepherd the flock. Getting behind this pulpit is a sacred trust. We must not misuse that trust. You're not simply to preach your own ideas. You're not called to espouse your own philosophies. You must not deal with, with um, you know, personal problems from a public platform. Now, this is interesting because people might think the pastor's preaching at me today. If you ever think that way, I hope that it'll be true. Because he preached the Word of God and the Holy Spirit convicting your heart. It's a wonderful thing. You want that. We should pray for the Holy Spirit to apply his Word to our hearts. But it has to be his Word. So, yeah, things will go on in private. And they should. That's part of shepherding. That's part of tending. That's part of caring. You will find that that good biblical preaching, good shepherding, will cut down on the need for individual counseling. doesn't cut it out all the way. And as pastors, we're always available to talk privately to those that, that we love. But as the Bible is preached, so many of those very issues are dealt with. As we systematically go through the scriptures, Pastor Jeff, you can teach your people to become their own counselors with biblical wisdom. You know, many of you are parents. Some of you are grandparents, like I am. I've got 11 grandkids. Love them all. And each one says, so who do you love the most? My lips are sealed because I love them all. Okay. Yeah. But... Having raised four children of my own, Pastor Jeff having raised three children of his own, Jeff and Melissa do that. And many of you are in the process of raising young ones yourself, or teens, or you've got um, older ones, you know. What you say will be very, very important. But the way that you live will speak volumes. Because you can negate the very things that you say by your example with them. Your kids know you because they live with you. So they know you. And that's not bad. That's good. That's the way it's supposed to be. A a good dad, a good mom is supposed to be a model to their children. It's not always possible. Sometimes people are converted later in life and they, they really don't have any control over that. The Lord does. The sovereign Lord does. You know, so we give that to him. 
you know. But uh, really, uh, just as we desire our children to grow and become independent, so the wise pastor doesn't want his people to be independent, but he wants them to be mature. And what we desire in a local church, just finally, is this. I want to see this church with some baby Christians in it. May the Lord grant that. And uh, oh, baby Christians, they're usually so excited for the things of the Lord. Not always excited um, and going the right direction. They need some direction, but they're excited. And that excitement is good. And so a healthy church is like a healthy family. They have all kinds of, of, of people in it. So the, the newly converted, those who are young and strong in the Lord and can bear the heat of the day and uh, do battle with the word of God and, and to have that kind of uh, strength and enthusiasm, you know, that's a blessing to have those people. And then those that are older, mature saints who have loved him and been loved by him for many, many years. The church needs that kind of wisdom. And as I look around, I, I see that you've got a, a good mix, and that will make a healthy church. When I was a young pastor, uh, and, and Pastor Jeff would know this, we had a godly man. One of the most godly men I ever knew uh, was John Watson. I think about him often. He's with the Lord now, but uh, he would, lived into his 80s. And um, I, one day I was very honest with him. I, said, I was at his house. I said, John, it's, it's intimidating to preach to you. You've been in the Lord since you were a teenager and you know so much and it's just really intimidating to, to be honest. I just want to, to know how I can minister to you. You know what he said? He said two words, preach Christ. That's what he said. That's what he wanted. And then he went on to say, and we don't even sing this song in our church, but we wanted to say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He says, preach Christ. That's what he said. And so may the Lord help that to be the case here in Bonham. I have confidence that it will. And may God bless you in the ministry. May God bless you as you labor, because I know you work hard, Mark. May God bless you both. And may God bless Sovereign Grace Baptist Church of Bonham. Amen. Yeah. Okay, we're going to lay hands on, right? That's what we do next. Okay, you direct us here. Bob, if you would, you know where we can do that the best. Yeah, so. To the uh, charter members of the South Bridge Baptist Church, I'd be happy to have them happy to have your help and have your brother. Now we are going to lay hands on them, pray for them, lay them on hand. It is a... Thing. It is a symbol <clears throat> spirit of God setting apart these men for their service. We're going to have some men to come. After the kneel right here, we're going to go to
If you will, open your Bibles, book of Hebrews, chapter 13.
we've heard from Pastor Markadont charge to your teachers as to their responsibility to you. So that begs the question, what then is your responsibility to them? How are you to treat and to look at Mark and Jeff as they minister the Word of God to you? In order to understand the answer to that question, you have to understand the concept of what a, a teacher, a pastor is. So I'm going to give you an illustration. Therein is an empire ruled by a king. And this king sits on his throne and he issues edicts and decrees and directions for his kingdom to follow. And he takes those edicts and decrees and he writes them out and he seals them with a signet ring. And then he just files them away in a file cabinet never to be seen again. Such a king is not ruling. He is just simply a puppet imagining that he is doing so. Until those edicts and decrees are published and taken by messengers to the realms of the kingdom, not only read, but also explained to the populace, the king does not rule. Jesus Christ is king of the church. He is head of the church. He has written for us all the directions that we need for life, for godliness, for how the church is to function, for what we are to do, how we are to worship him, what we are to know. And those edicts and decrees are here in the word of God. They are not hidden in heaven in a box somewhere. They are not a mystery to be found somewhere in a cave or in a treasure chest, hidden away, buried. They are published but they are published by the king's messengers. Men who have been ordained by each of Christ's churches to take the word of God and to explain it to you, to bring it to you, and to say, this is what the king says. Well, that's who these men are. And that's how you are to treat them. In Hebrews chapter 13, you will, at verse 7, Paul's directions to the church and to the Christians. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace. And then if you will, down at verse 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Three concepts I want to bring to you from this passage. How are you to respond? How are you to treat these men who are God's messengers to you, bringing you God's word and explaining it to you? First, notice in verse 7 that you are to remember them. The word remember here, at least in our modern connotation, is not what, what Paul means. Our modern idea of remembrance is, I forgot something, and oh, I just remembered, right? Like a birthday. Well, Paul is not saying remember their birthdays 
or you know remember their anniversaries or that's great if you do that's wonderful let them know you love them they will appreciate it but that's not what paul is getting at here the idea of remembering here is to take special notice of something in genesis chapter 8 we read god remembered noah in exodus 20 remember the sabbath day to keep it holy this one, Luke 17, 32, Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. That doesn't mean remember Lot's wife's birthday or remember the day she turned into a pillar of salt and have a, a feast or a dinner. To remember is the idea of looking at something carefully and thinking about it, considering it, watching God watched over Noah. He considered Noah and he took special notice of him. So the Lord's Day is a day that we remember, we take special note of. And so the instruction here is this, remember those who rule over you. Watch them. Take special note of what they say. Listen to their teaching. Look at their life and imitate them. In particular, there are two things that Paul wants us to look at. One, that they have spoken the word of God to you and therefore follow their faith. And secondly, consider the outcome of their conduct. Look at their faith and look at their conduct. Their faith is not how they believe, it's what they believe. If these are the men who are the experts of the word of God, who take God's message and explain it to you, then the, the assumption is, is that they can in turn set an example of doctrine. What should I believe? How should I understand this passage of scripture? Your first resource is not the internet, and Lord forbid, it's not television. Your first resource is your pastors and your teachers. Go to them. What does the word of God mean here? Remember them, watch them, and then watch how they live. Watch how they raise their children. Watch how they conduct themselves. Because these men who know the word of God are your examples, both in what you believe and how you act. So first, remember them. Secondly, obey and be submissive to them. Now, that's a hard way of looking at things because we don't like that in our modern American culture. But look at verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive because they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. This obedience of verse 17 that you owe to Mark and to Jeff is not an absolute obedience. They can't tell you what kind of car to buy. I'm, I might want to, but they can't, not as pastors. They can't tell you what house to buy or what job to take or what color tie to wear or no tie. That's not their authority. They have no coercion or, or coercive authority, but they do have an authority to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. And their extent of their authority then comes from the word of God. Insofar as these men stand up and open the word of God to you, you listen to them as the messengers of the king. 
You follow them and you remember them. Last, why do we do so? Because these men watch for your souls. They, they not just talk to you and greet you. They listen to you. They ask you questions. They're interested as to whether you are struggling with sin or discouragement. They want to know about your faith in Christ and the faith of your children. And maybe one day the faith of your grandchildren, should this church remain, that there will be careful pastors who are preaching the gospel to you and to the next generation. And may God be pleased the generation after that. Because they want to see your souls saved and sanctified coming to faith in Christ and walking in faith in Christ. Paul's point is simple. These men are God's messengers. They come with a message from the king, which he has published, and they are here to not only proclaim it, but to explain it and to teach you, to watch out for you. Therefore, remember them, follow them, Obey them, because they watch for your souls. In our day and age, the idea of following someone else is a strange idea indeed. Most everyone has the idea of following their own heart. Just follow what you want to do. The ironic thing about it is that they learned that idea someone else so they weren't following their own heart when they decided to follow their own heart they're following the culture when they decided to follow their own heart which makes them as much slaves who are deluded into thinking they are free me follow someone no i'll just do my own thing to hearken back to when i was a teenager just do your own thing. But Jesus Christ is the great truth. He is the sinless Savior. He is the perfect Lamb of God. And as these men come and they open up God's word to you, you will find on every page the example of Jesus Christ. You are not here to follow your own heart. You are not here to find a church that you like better than another church. Churches aren't Walmarts or shopping centers that you pick and choose. Rather, you come to hear the word of God as it opens up to you, Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And insofar as these men do so, remember them, pray for them, follow them, listen to them, because they care for your souls. Let's pray. Father, I ask by the power of your spirit and of your word that you will watch over this church, that as you meet here by your spirit, as these people meet, that you will open the word of God to them. Save those who do not know Jesus Christ. Bring them to faith. Make this indeed a beacon of the gospel. I pray, Father, for those whose faith is in you, that they will find their sins convicted, find themselves pursuing Christ, even as these men who teach them do so. Keep this church, we ask, in your grace. Bless it, Father. Use it for the glory of your name. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen.
of Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, Bonham, Texas, I'd like to say a few words. First of all, we'd like to thank you for attending and participating in our constituting service today. Your presence here today has been a great encouragement to our congregation, and we consider it a kind gift from God. And we want to thank you, especially those who have traveled so far from other churches to be with us 
We appreciate so much your support and expressions of encouragement throughout the months. It's been a great blessing to be remembered and encouraged by others. Secondly, we want to ask for your continued prayers for the days ahead. You have witnessed us as a congregation take our first steps today, but there are many more steps to take. And we ask for your prayers as we begin to function as a local church, as we begin to fulfill our covenant responsibilities to one another as members of this.